On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. Yeah, it's called conversations with Jeff, not screaming matches. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though, and so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth, and then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, everybody, welcome to today's episode of Conversations with Jeff. Um, today's going to be a little bit of a different episode since I don't have a guest that's coming on today. So essentially, I'm going to be the guest. So you guys can actually ask me any questions you guys might have throughout this episode. Um, and I'll kind of uh, update you as well with uh, some of the things that are going on around here at the GK and some new things that we're up to uh, and that sort of thing. Um, but this will be a good chance to kind of you know give you guys the opportunity Ask any questions that you guys might have, and then I will be sure to answer them as well as going to kind of run through a lot of things that were that's going on here um, at the GK and a lot of projects that we're working on and that sort of thing. Um, one of the things that I wanted to remind you guys about as we're getting started is we do have our plugged in membership, uh, which which is our exclusive program uh, for people who want to be able to support. The GK, um, you know, like a lot of times we get people and they're asking, like, how can we support? You know, do you, you guys take donations? Do you do anything like that? We don't do, we don't, we're not a nonprofit. Um, and that's intentional. Uh, part of that is because we don't want to be, uh, we don't want to be constantly soliciting, uh, asking for donations, sending out fundraising letters and that sort of thing. What we want to be doing is, uh, we just want to provide a service. And then if you guys like what we're offering, whether it's a book, or um, or a subscription or any kind of product like that, you know, we, you guys can support us that way. We want to be giving you something in return, not just asking you to donate your estates or you know give a big donation or things like that. So the other side of it too is that we don't want 
we don't want to be beholden to the government in what we say, what we talk about. If we're a nonprofit, there's limitations on what we're allowed to talk about. There's limitations on, uh, you know, politicians that we can talk about, uh, you know, certain things like that. And so the IRS could technically come in and shut down a nonprofit if they are talking about particular uh, issues or particular candidates and that sort of thing. Uh, and so we don't we don't want to be beholden to anybody. And so that way we kind of ha- we can retain our freedom of speech. So that's one of the things uh, that we've got going on here. So with our plugged in membership, one of the things uh, that you can get is uh, you'll get exclusive the exclusive recordings to the Destroy Social Justice Conference that we put on a, f- a few weeks ago. Uh, that's got speakers like Greg Locke, myself, the rest of the GK guys, Trevor Loudon, Mike Spaulding, Ken Peters, Tom Littleton. The list goes on and on and on. Uh, it was a great lineup. Learned a lot of a lot of information on social justice and cultural Marxism and that sort of thing. Uh, you guys can so you guys can actually get that um, exclusive recording as a member of Plugged In. You'll also get uh, my talk from the Stand Against Marxism conference as well as Sam's. Uh, that will be exclusively for you as there as well. You're going to be able to get 30% off of anything in our store, uh, at, which is at gatekeepersonline.com slash store. Right now we have our social injustice book as well as uh, Sam's upcoming book, Five Steps to Kill a Nation. Um, and so we're actually going to be adding more resources. I'm, I've been in talks with uh, multiple authors about carrying their books, um, You know, people that you know, that you like, that you love, um, people that you respect. Uh, so what, we're tr- what we want to do is we want to create this hub that w- where we can be providing you with with great resources um, at great prices, and that way you guys can have access to this kind of stuff. Uh, you know, you know, grow uh, intellectually, uh, grow spiritually, and that sort of thing. So that's actually going to be available to you there as well. If you're a member, if you're a plugged in member, you get thirty percent off of anything in the store. Um, so you guys can take advantage of that. Also, we do have our weekly devotional that goes out. It's called 12, um, which, which means every single month we're going to be dealing with a different topic. So there's going to be 12 topics that we cover over the course of a year. Each month we have a different author that is, uh, t- tackling that topic. This last month we had Dr. Mike Spaulding, uh, led us through a devotion of the, of the study of holiness, uh, this next month, um, you know, I'm going to be taking that uh, that topic. Um, I I don't even remember uh, what topic I'm going to be writing about, but uh, that will be coming up as well. So we've got guys like uh, Dustin Faulkner that that's contributing to this project. We've got uh, Sam Jones. We've got myself. We've got uh, Bob Picard. We've got Mike Spaulding. We've got a great lineup of people. And then what we're going to do at the end of this is that we're going to be we're going to combine all the writings over the course of the year and then we're going to produce it as a devotional for you guys uh for next year so that way if anybody's not a member they can actually have it in book form um and then that way you can go through that throughout the throughout your entire year and it's kind of a cool project uh it's an added perk for those of you guys that are plugged in members so if you guys want more information on being a member of plugged in you can go to gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in. Uh, for, for our membership uh, program is $10 a month. If you'd like to sign up for the annual membership, uh, so you pay for the whole year ahead of time, you'll save some money there, but then also you'll get a copy of our book, Social Injustice, that we will send out to you absolutely free just for signing up for that. So uh, check that out, gatekeepersonline.com slash plugged in uh, for more information on that. Uh, just as, as a reminder, if you guys do have any questions or uh, comments or topics or anything you'd like me to, to discuss, uh, you guys can post a comment, um, and I will be sure to cover that topic. Uh, otherwise, I'm just going to kind of talk about uh, whatever enters into my mind. Uh, you know, we're kind of all in this uh, weird limbo stage in our country right now with 
you know, pretty much everybody's on lockdown. Everybody's under stay-at-home orders for the most part across the country. I think I, I think I was reading that three out of four Americans right now are under stay-home orders. Um, you know, out here in California, we're definitely we've been. I think we're in like day number twenty or something like that. Um, it's it's definitely crazy. I don't think any of us ever thought that we'd be in a situation like this. And I think that one of the things that we can remember. As a, from a Christian perspective, so let's forget the political side of things. But from the Christian perspective, there's a lot. There's a lot of craziness and debate about how we're supposed to be moving forward, how we're supposed to be submitting to the government, or whether we resist, or you know whatever it is. But ultimately, I think from a theological standpoint, what we need to come back to is a reminder that God's in control, and that we don't need to be freaking out. We don't need to be running around uh, panicking and worrying about what's going to happen tomorrow because we know that God's in control. Everything that's happening is happening because he is either causing it or allowing it to happen, and he, he brings everything together for his purposes. So he's got the grand landscape of what he's actually doing. He's using this for his purposes, whether that's uh, you know dealing with eschatology or it could just be dealing with uh, the way the world is being run at this moment. We don't know what the future holds, but God does, and so that's one of those things that we need to, that we need to remember as Christians is that when, a lot of times when we're in a specific situation, um, oftentimes it, it's difficult because we're like, how in the world is this a part of God's plan? Like when you think about it, like the country that we're in right now with almost everybody on lockdown, the question becomes, uh, how, how is God working this out? Is this something that's out of his control? Is, is the world, you know, uh, going loose and, uh, you know, get, getting away from God's plan? No, we, we need to be faithful, but we also need to be trusting in God because God is in control. He's sovereign. Uh, again, he causes or allows everything to happen that happens, um, the governments that are in place, he puts there. It's not like there was a surprise that there's any particular governmental leader. Um, they're all there because God willed it to happen. And so that's something that I think we can remember. And we can also rest assured knowing that he's in control. We don't have to worry about anything. We don't have to stress about anything. Obviously, we're going to do our best. We're going to try to figure out the best way to handle things, how we need to respond to particular situations, especially with a lot of the uh, governmental um, overstepping right now that we're seeing here in America. But the the main thing that we need to remember is God is in control. So there's no there's no sense in there's no sense in freaking out. Um, you know, there's there's the there, there's the passage where uh, where Jesus is talking, where he is he's saying that you know like you know God in, God ensures that even the sparrows are paid are are, are given food. Uh, you know, he, he makes, he makes sure, you know, I mean, he provides for the animal kingdom. He provides for plants. He, he does all that kind of stuff. So how much more would he provide for those of us who, um, are his children? And so that, that's an important reminder that we can have is that again, he's, he's going to work things out. And so we do our best and then we have to trust God for the rest. So that is, that's vitally important that we as believers are being an example to the world that we do have trust and faith in God. It's a perfect time for us to be a testimony that we're not freaking out. The rest of the world can be freaking out. We, we, we can rest in the fact that God is sovereignly in control. That's something that's important for us as believers to do. Again, you know, th there's, there's always an opportunity for the gospel. There's always an opportunity to promote the truth. 
the Bible says that we're supposed to always be ready to give, uh, give a reason for the hope that lives within us. This is a perfect opportunity. Why aren't you freaking out? Well, you know, I, I know who's in control. There's, there's always an opportunity for the gospel in all of this. So that, that's an important reminder to us that even in the craziness, even in everything that's going on, we just do the best that we can do and we trust God for the rest. And there should be a difference in how we respond to things like coronavirus versus how the world responds to things like the coronavirus. So just a reminder, just an, an encouragement. Uh, on the flip side, on the more political aspect of this, something that we can uh, really take a look at is is the response that we're seeing, not only from the government, but from everyday people in in how we respond to the coronavirus. And one of the things that we need to discuss and one of the things that we need to understand is, do we have guiding principles or do we not have guiding principles? Um, and, you know, as Christians, our guiding principles come from God's word. As Americans, our guiding principles come from a combination of God's word as well as the Constitution of the United States. And there, and there's certain, uh, there's certain laws that are in place. Now, the, with a proper understanding of the Constitution, what, what it's, what it's designed to be is the ultimate law that the rest of the laws that we implement have to go along with. If, if a law is implemented or an executive order is made that contradicts what the Constitution says, technically that law or that executive order is unconstitutional, thus illegal. And so that's, that's one of the things that I think that we as conservatives are really concerned about right now in dealing with the response to the coronavirus is that it seems like the Constitution is being completely thrown out. It seems like it's just a piece of paper. We, uh, we don't have to follow it. Um, you know, and historically it's oftentimes been the, pe the people on the Democratic side of things, uh, that, you know, it, they, they view it as a living document. They view it as something that it's almost like a, a set of recommendations for how to run our country instead of a set of ultimate laws. Um, what, what's fascinating about all of this is how even the Republicans now are coming along with these big government solutions and uh, are going against what the Constitution says. And, and that, that's, an interesting, that's an interesting development in all of this. And, and I think that one of the things that we, can, that we need to understand and we need to take a look at is, do we believe that the Constitution is the best uh, set of standards? And if we don't, then, then maybe what we need to do is we need to amend it. That, that's completely doable. And, you know, and I've recommended that if we're going to keep, uh, if we're going to keep going down this path and finding exceptions to the rule, then I think that what we need to do is we need to actually change the constitution. We can, we can make an amendment that provides an exception for, um, for a national emergency. If we're going to do that, then we need to put that into the rule of law and not just ignore it. Because what happens when you just ignore the rule of law on a whim it, set, it sets a bad precedent, and, and my concern and the concern of a lot of my friends and people that I've been talking with is that this is setting a precedent for the future, that once we pass that line, once we cross that line, then it's going gonna, it's gonna to make it more difficult to not pass that line in the future. Is this going to be standard operating procedure every time that there's an outbreak of something? It's a fair question to ask, especially when you start taking taking into consideration 
a lot of other diseases that are out there, uh, like like the flu and other uh, and other uh, contagious diseases that are much more prevalent, much more widespread. A lot more people die from, but they don't take the same uh, shutdown and lockdown uh, procedures that they do here. Um, and so that that becomes the question of: Is this what we're going to start seeing every flu season? Is this what we're going to start seeing every time that there's a new disease or new virus that comes out of that comes out of China? It's a it's a fair question. So then, what are our guiding principles? Because what we're seeing right now is that these governors are implementing executive laws and then enforcing them as if they're actually legitimate laws when. Here in America, the way that we have things set up is governors and presidents don't make law. They sign it into law. It's the legislative branch that actually creates the laws. But what's happening is is that we're seeing these governors overstepping their bounds to create law that then they're having the police enforce with threat of arrest. When the way that our system is set up, it's supposed to go legislative branch, signs into law by the executive branch, and then it's implemented. That's a concern that we're having here here in the United States is that these governors and the concern is that we're going to be eventually going down this path of the president as well, acting more like kings than like presidents. Presidents are not kings. They're not emperors. They're not dictators. They are there to execute the law that is created by the legislative branch. And that's a concern that a lot, that a lot of us conservatives are having is that these, these governors are making executive orders on a whim implementing them with threat of arrest, and then we are expected to, to just follow along. That's not the way that the Constitution has things set up. So as we're looking at this situation, the question is, what kind of country are, are we going to be moving forward? And that's something to ponder. I know that um, we've, we've got a question from Twitter that I'll ask, and we can kind of get back to this issue. Um, somebody asked, and let's see... Uh, what, what do you think about churches that voluntarily closed weeks ago, went to streaming, and then made sure to mention the online giving? Um, it, you know, and I think that one, that's one of those things where when you're dealing with churches and their, and their decisions to shut down and close down, the thing is, is that, I, and I've, I've always said, if I, if I was a pastor and I, w- and I was leading a church, I probably, I would have shut down right away. For safety, because I have to, my number one priority uh, in this instance would be I need to make sure that my congregation that my congregation is safe, they're healthy, they're not they're not potentially getting a disease that could kill them, and so in this instance that would have been my decision. The question then becomes, is it the government's role to force a church to do that? And and that's one of the things that we're seeing with um, e- even there's been a couple of pastors that have been arrested for still holding services. There was the one in uh, in Florida. I don't remember the guy's name, but he's a pretty prominent pastor. And, uh, you know, it, it sounds like in their specific situation from the reports that I've read, they actually followed the rule of law as best as they possibly could while still holding services. Um uh, for for example, the the from what I understand, and again, what I, what I'm being told is that in that specific area, if you're a non-essential business, you were able to still conduct business as long as you were as long as you were practicing proper uh, safety protocols and um, having safe distances and things like that. And so, what they did at this church, again, from from all reports, is that they were 
uh, they, they spent like $100,000 implementing like an air purification system. They uh, made sure that, that all groups of families were sitting at least six, six feet apart from each other. Uh, they were following, you know, they took all these different precautions. And then the local sheriff or, or police chief actually went in and they arrested the pastor for still holding services in spite of the fact that they were actually following proper protocol in their local area. Um, and this becomes an this becomes an issue because that law is not technically law because it was not passed by the legislature and then signed in, signed into law by the governor. It was an executive order. And so when you begin looking at at a lot of these situations, we have to we have to figure out what kind of country do we want to be? Do we want to be a country where governors and presidents and mayors can can just pass laws on a whim, bypassing the legislative branch? And making and making law out of thin air and enforcing it by by police and by arrest, or do we want to be a country with proper protocols? I would prefer to be a country with proper protocols. I think I think that it's the government's place to uh, to encourage and to advise on how to handle things. But if we're going to pass a law, we need to pass a law the proper way, the right way, and that's something that that I think that is getting lost in all of this and it's setting a bad precedent for moving forward. It's because if we cross the line here, it's going to be so easy to cross the line in the future. And one of the things that we're seeing in all of this is we are seeing the potential for these temporary solutions to end up being permanent. And the way, what's going to end up happening is we're going to begin to see our rights that are given to us or that are acknowledged to us by the constitution because it's an acknowledgement of the of the god-given rights that god gives us in the constitution we're seeing those being stripped away we're seeing the right to peaceably assemble being taken away we're seeing the right to freedom of speech being taken away for example on twitter uh rudy giuliani his tweets talking about uh potential uh, potential medications for coronavirus, Twitter deleted them because they go against what uh, what particular medical officials say. Even though the, a lot of actual doctors that he was citing say say support what he's saying, but because it, it doesn't fit in with Twitter's narrative, they sh- they shut down his his right to free speech, his right to free speech. And that's coming from somebody who's the attorney for the president of the United States. He's getting censored. That's something that is scary moving forward. Somebody like uh, Pastor Ken Peters, who with the Church of Planned Parenthood, one of the things that that they've recently experienced is that uh, is that their local city council were, were actually using technicalities and trying to pass a noise ordinance, and they actually did in order to take away their right to freedom of speech, freedom of religion, and freedom to peaceably assemble. Um, you know, in front of, uh, their local Planned Parenthood. The thing is, is that we need to value our freedoms and liberties, even if it's with somebody that we disagree with. So as Christians and as believers, we shouldn't only be upset when a Christian's rights are taken away. We shouldn't only be upset when it's, when it's attacking a Christian. We should be upset anytime this is happening. Whether it's a Christian, a non-Christian, an atheist, a Mormon, a Muslim, anybody, we should be defending the rights and freedoms for everybody because that's the constitutional way of doing things. Uh, the other side of it too is that if we want freedom for ourselves, we have to acknowledge freedom for everybody. As long as you're not actually physically breaking a law, 
then you should have the right to freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. And that's one of the things that I think over the years Christians have lost sight of. I think we're starting to get it back a little bit. And a, and a lot of it is because, you know, we are we are being persecuted. We are being uh, tried to shut trying to be shut down by the left. And so I think we are beginning to realize that, hey, we need to start promoting freedom for everybody and liberty for everybody. But I, but I think that historically we've set a bad precedent as Christians in trying to legislate our morality and trying to take away the rights that other religions should also be afforded if we want those rights afforded to us. Some, somebody should have the right to practice their religion as they see fit. They should, they should be able to peaceably assemble uh, in the name of their religion. That's the point of freedom of religion. Now, that doesn't make what they're doing right. It doesn't make what they're doing biblical. But if we want freedom for ourselves, we need to be able to afford freedom for everybody. Um, I know I know that, uh, you know, so, some of the other uh, GKers, they, they, they might disagree with me on that. And that's totally fine. That, that's one of the things that we like about having our, uh, our podcast network is that we all are okay with disagreeing with each other. We engage in each other's arguments and, and respond to each other and that sort of thing. Um, but that that's my take on a lot of this kind of stuff is that we need to be able to afford freedom for everybody. And one of the things that we I think that we can unify across the board as Americans right now is that we need to be able to afford freedom and liberty across the board and push back against these big government tactics. Um, you know, what, one of the things that we're seeing is that is that the government is taking away our right to peaceably assemble, taking taking away our right to work even, and then they're saying rely on us for the solution with this big bailout that they passed, two trillion dollars. I mean, you know, conservatives and Republicans were upset and up in arms over uh, President Obama's, I think, I believe it was eight hundred billion dollar stimulus package, and then we come out with one that's almost triple or two and a half times uh, what that was, and this is being applauded by conservatives across the board. I think I think something that what we should be doing is we should promoting be promoting freedom, liberty. We can we can make our decisions. Um, again, like I, I think wh- whether it was mandated or not, um, you know, my wife and I would probably still be staying home. You know, as a precaution, if if it was being advised by the government, um, it's something that we would do in order to protect ourselves, protect our family, protect other people around us. That's something that um, that's something that I think that we should be doing. Um, but the question becomes, does the government have the constitutional authority to enforce a lot of these rules that they are putting in? Uh, we, we got a question coming from, uh, Facebook, uh, Lisa Elizabeth asked, Jeff, this is disturbing as illness comes and goes, as we have seen in history with other epidemics, um, i.e. TB polio. This seems to be an excuse for a power grab by government. My question is, how do people stand against abuse of power and stand for religious freedoms in an orderly manner? If your state representatives and senators are, are conservative, you can make your voice heard there. But if not, will it fall to deaf ears? Practically speaking, it probably will fall on deaf ears, especially the way that things are set up right now. Uh, like, for example, <coughs> out here out here in California, we have a very uh, progressive liberal uh, you know, government. You know, conservatives could raise our voice and more than likely it's not gonna, it's not gonna change anything because there's different values that are, that are being promoted, uh, within our state and within our government. So that's something that 
we need to start thinking about the long-term game as Christians and conservatives. So number one, as Christians, we need to be preaching the gospel more. If more people get saved, there, there will be more people that have a biblical worldview, which would then promote freedom and liberty and uh, conservative values. So if we could effectively preach the gospel, save the lost, there's a huge chance that we could even change the state of California into being a much more conservative state if we could actually get out there, preach the gospel, and win more people for Christ. Um, also, going along with that, we as conservatives need to do a better job of articulating our values and not just falling in line with our favorite celebrity politician. Just like I've been very critical of Christians who fall in line with their favorite celebrity pastor, we need to... We need to uh, stop just going along with what our favorite politician says and start having our own values and then supporting the particular politicians that support our values. So as conservatives, we need to be talking about limited government. We need to be talking about freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly, um, you know, the Second Amendment. We need to be, we need to be promoting freedom and liberty. That's what we need to be promoting, that we need to articulate that. We need, we need to, Educate the masses on that. And I know that there's been a lot of great groups like Turning Point USA, um, you know, the Daily Wire, different groups that are going around speaking on college campuses. That's great. We need more of that. Um, but if we're going to change things and not just keep letting things slide, we need to have a voice. We need to start educating people, training people, bringing them over to understand why we believe in capitalism, why we, why we believe in freedom, why we believe in personal responsibility and the benefits of those. Um, that's vitally important. Um, the, the other side of it is dealing with the question of how do we stand against abusive power and stand for religious freedoms in an orderly manner. I think that the best way to do it is just put your voice out there. Like right now, the more people that can be uh, posting blogs, posting podcasts, um, you know, you can always ca- you can always call or write your local senator. You can always call and write your representative. You can always call and write your governor. Talk to them. But the but the key is not to do things in a, in an emotional way. Don't make an emotional response to something. Don't start yelling at them. Don't start just, um, you know, treating them poorly. Don't give them an excuse in order to ignore your point. Articulate your point well. Provide a better argument. Realize that we're all Americans. The, the, the thing that I like to say, the, the left and Democrats are not our enemy. Uh, and, and I want to be careful in saying that because a lot, a lot of them know what they're doing and you can maybe make the argument that, that they are. But I think in general, what we need to do is we need to treat, treat the idea of liberalism, leftism, progressivism as the enemy, not the individual people. And so I think if, if we can begin to have that mentality, then what we begin to do is we begin to attack the uh, attack their points as opposed to attack them. And I think that if we can do that, I think that we can win over some people onto our side. Uh, my friend J.D. Rucker often says that if we articulated conservatism much more effectively, we took out the personalities, we took out the party affiliations, uh, he believes that 70% of Americans would actually be conservative. I would probably agree with that. I think that, I think that the majority of Americans... If you articulate conservatism and you take out the personality, the politician, the, the, the party lines, if you took that out, they would actually believe in limited government. 
when you when you pose it in the in the right way. For example, I think that a lot of people, if you ask them about personal property rights, if you're talking about their personal property, they would be extremely conservative. But then, but then what they what they do is that there's this disconnect when you start talking about somebody else's property, right? So I I think that if we can articulate our points well, I think that the majority of people would actually come along to being conservative, and I think that that's going to be the way that we do that we do things. That's gonna that's gonna be very important. I think that for conservatives and Christians to do moving forward is be a voice, but be a rational voice and articulate our points well. Um, and that's in all reality why, um, uh, you know, JD Rucker, uh, myself, Ken Peters, Sam Jones, we've all, we've all come together and we are starting an organization called the American Conservative Movement. Uh, if you guys want information on that, you guys can actually go to AmericanConservativeMovement.com. We're still kind of, uh, fine tuning the website, but a lot of the general principles and things like that are there. We're going to be making a lot of major announcements moving forward for what, for what we're going to be doing. Uh, but you guys can check that out. You guys can go there, uh, put in your email address, um, you know, stay in contact with us. Uh, we've already had, you know, several thousand people have already signed up uh, and have subscribed to the email list wanting more information on this. We're going to be, again, making some major announcements and we're going to be hitting the ground running here pretty soon. Um, but that's one of the missions of the American conservative movement, uh, this organization that we're putting together, is that what we want to do is we want to be able to articulate conservative, conservative values in an articulate way, not emotional not making emotional arguments, not not doing political arguments in the sense of Republican versus Democrat. No, what we want to do is we want to promote constitutional values, conservative values, and help you to be able to go back to your local community and articulate those and and participate in conversation, participate in debate, participate in your local governments. Because in all reality, one of the things that the left has done a very good job at is infiltrating the the places of influence and conservatives have have fled those scenes so the education system entertainment politics the media those are all run by liberals they're all run by leftists and it they've been completely controlled by them so they're actually controlling the majority of the influential powers of our country and so I think that we as conservatives need to get back to actually being politically involved. We need more people that are act, that are actively involved in Hollywood and the entertainment industry. We need more people that are actively involved in writing books. We need more people that are actively involved in the media, participate in debate, participate in conversation. We need more of that. And so if we can get people that are educated, that understand why we believe what we believe, understand why it's important that we believe in constitutional values, I think that we could actually turn the tide and bring our country back to a true conservative nation that we were actually founded on. You know, we were founded on these constitutional principles that conservatives are supporting and believing in. So that that's just something that I think we can do. Read a lot of books. Uh, read the Constitution. Read the Declaration of Independence. Um, you know, li- listen to conservative voices. Hear their arguments. But the important thing is don't always take everything at face value. Do your own research. Take what they say, do your own research, and then figure out is what they're saying constitutional, is what they're saying uh, right and accurate. And that's something that's important that I think that we can all uh, that we can all agree on, that we can all do. Um, 
another question coming in on uh, on Facebook from Andrew Ramsey, and Andrew was actually uh, one of my guests last week on Conversations with Jeff. I highly recommend that episode. Uh, it's a very encouraging one. Um, definitely go check that out. Uh, that was from, I believe, last Saturday, I think it was. So you guys can check that out, check that out as well. Uh, but Andrew asked, what are the theology books that have been most influential to you outside of the Bible? Um, for me, honestly, and it's, it's going to be really interesting, but a lot, a lot of the books that I read growing up was, uh, was John MacArthur books. Um, you know, I still, I still agree with him, uh, mostly when it comes to theology and, um, in all reality, from a theological standpoint, uh, his, his books have been very influential to me. And so, um, uh, I'm trying to think of any particular off the top of my head that would that would be great. I mean, I I know that there is you know really good book. Uh, uh, there was theology. I think, believe it was theology matters. There was one ashamed of the gospel. Um, there was uh, again. I'm totally going off the top of my head. There, there's a few more. If if more come to me, I'll 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 put them back out there. Maybe I'll leave a comment with uh with some recommendations on on books. But in all reality, um. Growing up, I almost read exclusively MacArthur books, and in all reality, a lot of my criticisms of a lot of the Calvinists and a lot of people that I would consider in my own camp um, come from the very readings that came from MacArthur, and it's just it's just I'm applying the principles that I've been taught my entire life. Um, I know that a lot of times they don't like what I'm saying, or that I turn it around and I question, well, why are we making these decisions when? They are, you know, going against the very things that you guys have taught me over the years. But, um, but yeah, I mean, you know, like again, growing up, I, I used to, my devotion used to be listening to John MacArthur sermons. You know, I read his books almost, almost exclusively. I, I've attended Shepherd's Conference twice. I've attended his church. Um, so from a theological standpoint, I would, uh, I, I would say that his have been the most influential to me. Um, I, I think teaching wise he he's quite good i think that the application can be off sometimes and i think that the, that the that a lot of his followers can be off in a lot of their in a lot of their beliefs because i think that they can take things to an extreme especially when it comes to things like lordship salvation especially when it comes to things like evangelism um uh when it comes to uh you know church leadership uh, certain things, I think that they can take things to an extreme, uh, even with like the cessationist, uh, you know, views. Um, I, again, I'm a cessationist. I'm a five point Calvinist. I'm, um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I agree with him almost, on almost everything theologically. I just think that we have to be careful that we don't take things too far and then turn our faith into a works-based system, which is easy to do when you believe in Lordship Salvation, as I do. But if you if you take it too far, we need to be careful that uh, that we are not turning our, our salvation, which is supposed to be a free gift of God, not of works, and turn it into something that is completely hinged on our behavior. So that that's something that I would um, that I would definitely caution everybody about. Um, other other books that that I that I recommend. Honestly, I I read right now. I read my Bible, and then um, 
I've I've been reading. Uh, actually, you know, it, it'll be coming out uh, this summer. But I've been reading uh, Sam Jones' uh, new book that he's writing. As he, he's sending me over his chapters, um, and we're going through like the editing process and getting it re- getting it ready. But the five steps to kill a nation. It's gonna be a very very good book. Uh, he articulates his points very well. He's taking a look at the problems in our country and, and in all reality, how the church is actually destroying our country from within. It's going to be a very, very good book. Um, I highly recommend it. So I, I, it's going to be the second book that the GK Publishing is putting out. Uh, the first one was Social Injustice that we put out. You guys can get that. If you guys go to uh, gatekeepersonline.com slash store, you can actually um, order Social Injustice. And you can also pre-order Five Steps to Kill a Nation right now. If you use code Jeff, you can get 10% off. Not meaning to just use this as like a promo or take advantage, but, uh, you know, Sam's book right now, Five Steps to Kill a Nation, I've been reading through. It's been very, very good, uh, very encouraging, but and also eye-opening. But the nice thing that I appreciate about Sam, and I appreciate it about what he did with uh, within his chapter of the book in Social Injustice, he's not just focused on the problem, which I think is really easy for Christians and conservatives to focus on. A lot of us, it's really easy to just point fingers. But it's a lot more difficult and it takes a lot more time and research to actually provide the solution. So that's one of the things that I appreciate about Sam's chapter in Social Injustice, where he was dealing with uh, social justice in the gospel. And it's also one of the things that I appreciate about his upcoming book, Five Steps to Kill a Nation. I highly recommend that you pre-order that book. Um, it's going to be a great book. Uh, it's, it's, it's an easy read, uh, but it's, it's also at the same time very in-depth and very uh, highly, highly rooted in scripture. Um, he takes a very pastoral approach to to these issues and then how the church can actually, uh, as the subtitle says, stop the bleeding. Um, so again, I'd highly recommend you guys go over to gatekeepersonline.com slash store. Just check it out. Um, you know, wh- whether you pre-order it now, get it later, whatever it is, that's fine. But I highly recommend, uh, you know, reading that book. That's going to be a great book when that comes out this summer. Again, we're still going through the editing process and that sort of thing. Um, so we've still got a few months uh, before we uh, even get to printing and that sort of thing. But uh, it's it's going to be a very good book. Um, you guys, you guys can keep the questions coming. Um, you know, be happy to answer anything as well. Um, but but I I I think that you know all this all kind of ties into the, the theme of what we're seeing in our nation right now and how our country really is imploding. And I think that, you know, a, a lot a lot of my friends, guys like Sam, guys even like uh, Shu and Patrick Wyatt and Dustin Faulkner and the other GK guys, Mike Spaulding, you know, everybody. One of, the th- one of the consistent themes that we're seeing, I think, in our country is a lack of the gospel. And I think that the, the downfall of our society in, in how culture is imploding and that um, we're becoming more and more of an anti-God culture and a more and more of an atheistic culture is less an indictment on the non-Christians and even less an, of an indictment on America, but more of an indictment on the church because we're failing. We're not preaching the gospel. We're not winning the loss. We're not discipling properly. We're not even doing church properly. What, what it's become is church has become a business. It's become um, a, a way to bring in a lot of finances, tax-free. Uh, I mean, there's organizations literally bringing in tens of millions of dollars every single year uh, just for, you know, putting out a blog and podcasts and, you know, putting out a teaching ministry, that sort of thing. That's a, that's a lot of money. We're hoarding resources. Um, also, when was the last time that you've actually seen any prominent pastor preach the gospel? 
I don't just mean talking about the gospel, but actually going out and preaching the gospel to the lost. There's a handful of guys, um, questionably, because a lot of them, you know, they can kind of have a watered-down gospel. Um, there's there's some concerns there. But, I mean, there, there was guys like uh, Billy Graham. There's Franklin Graham. You know, there, there, I definitely have some theological issues with them, but at least they're out preaching the gospel. I mean, people can get saved if they hear the gospel and they, they repent and they believe in Jesus. Um, you know, somebody, somebody like Greg Laurie, I think he can be a little wishy-washy at times, but at least he's going out and he's preaching the gospel. But when's, when's the last time that you saw any of the gospel coalition guys do that? That's supposed to be an organization that's all about the gospel. But instead, all they're talking about is, is leftist politics and intersectionality and, uh, and the, the talking points of Bernie Sanders and AOC. Um, when was the last time that you saw... John Piper actually going out and preaching the gospel to the lost. John MacArthur, Al Mohler, Mark Dever, um, Tabidi, uh, Mark, uh, David Platt, Matt Chandler, Mark Driscoll. When was the last time that you saw any of these guys actually preach the gospel? I can't think of any time. I mean, I, you know, I'd be happy to be corrected. You know, you know, again, I, I've, been, I've been very critical of James White. He's at least preached the gospel to, to the Muslim community. I've been, I've been critical of... Um, Apologia Church. They at least go out and they preach the gospel. You know, we can be critical of somebody and still acknowledge the fact that they do some good work. And I think that that's important for us to remember. But I think overall, in the grand scheme of things, the church has lost its first and foremost mission, which is to reach the lost with the gospel. Nobody's actually going to the lost and preaching. We talk about the gospel to Christians. We preach the gospel to Christians, but what about the lost? And I think that one of the things that, that we've really been seeing is that evangelism has been warped into this, this idea that evangelism is inviting your friends to church and then let the pat and then let them, uh, feel welcome, uh, let them be entertained and then want to come back. That's, that has become the gospel of America. Invite your friends to church, and then it's a cool social club. We're going we're gonna to all hang out. We're going to all get along and that sort of thing. And I think that we need to get back to training, uh, training our congregations, training our youth, training our college ministries on what is the gospel and how can you share it effectively. And then I think that we actually need pastors and evangelists that are actually going out and preaching the gospel to the lost. That's what we need. We need to be going into the world. When we saw Paul, he went into a false idol's temple. We saw we saw him go into a pagan temple to preach the gospel. Paul wasn't just like, hey, we're going to have church in one of our home churches. If you are not a Christian, you can come visit and we'll tell you how thankful we are that you came to visit and maybe you'll hear the gospel, maybe you won't, but we're just going to give you a feel good message and, and, you know, have some good music and uh, hang out and drink some coffee and that sort of thing. No, he went into the world, preached the gospel, and then once they became saved, that's when they came back to church. Church is supposed to be a gathering of believers. Church is supposed to be where Christians come together to fellowship, learn from God's word, get trained, and then be sent out to do ministry in the world. But instead, what we've done is we've turned church into an experience. We've turned church into an entertainment venue where we are seen as the audience. We are seen 
as the lay people in the audience, we applaud the people that are on stage. And then we see the people that are on stage as the ones doing ministry. The ones that are in the audience are the ones watching ministry being done. That's backwards. The pastor's job is to train you to go out into the world and do ministry. You are supposed to be the minister. You are supposed to be the one that's preaching the gospel. You're supposed to be the one that's encouraging people and helping people and that sort of thing. Not We've got it backwards. We've got it backwards that only the pastor can do ministry. No, we're all supposed to do ministry. It's the pastor's job to train you in how to do ministry. And those pastors are failing miserably. And and I think that the, the proof is in the pudding in how our country is imploding before our eyes. Um, let's see. Uh, Lisa Elizabeth said, great points. Maybe we need to pray that this time we are set aside from the church to pray the Lord would impress this on the church. Um, I, I, I 100, I 100% agree. I think, I think that as we're all separated from our church families and our church congregations, I think that we need to take this time and especially the pastors, I challenge any pastors that maybe, you know, watch or listen to this, take this time to reflect on how we do church. Because I think, I think that one of the things that having a crisis like the coronavirus uh, issue can do to us is that it can put things in the proper perspective. Uh, when you look at when you look at the under church, the underground church in China, you look at churches in third world countries. They do church extremely differently. It's much more effective, and they're actually truly on fire for God. Um, and a lot of it is because you can't be wishy washy there. You're either all in, or you're not in at all, because there is no middle ground. Because you you're threatened with arrest and potentially even death. And so I think that we as Christians here in America, it's really easy for us to take church for granted. It's really easy for us to take the gospel for granted because we're not under any threat. And so I think that something that we can reconsider is how we do church. Are we doing church just to build up, get a bunch of numbers, have a bunch of income coming in, or... Is church supposed to be a gathering of believers? Maybe it's not supposed to be as much of an enterprise. Maybe it's not supposed to be as much of a moneymaker. Maybe it's supposed to be more of a gathering of believers where we come together, encourage each other, learn from God's word, and get sent out to do ministry in the world. I think I think that the church has lost its first and foremost uh, mission and priority, and I think that we need more. Uh, we need to get back to biblical Christianity, and I think that that's something that's missing right now. Um, uh, Andrew Ramsey just said, what I find interesting is that the majority of our resources as the church have been going to people already reached with the gospel at the expense of keeping people that live in the 1040 window. Um, I'm not sure about what the 1040 window is. Uh, Andrew, maybe you can explain that really quick. But but I would agree with you that the majority of our resources as the church have been going to people already reached with the gospel. Um, and I think when, when you look when you look at church budgets a lot of times as well, you got to start looking at like, what, what are we spending money on? Are we spending money on programs? Are we spending money on uh, fancy sound systems, stage setups? Are we, are we, you know, putting sermon props on stage? Um, you know, I used to be a worship leader at a church where literally, uh, it, you know, every every series sermon was was a different theme, and you'd have you know stage props on stage. Uh, I think one time we had a Corvette on stage. Um, there was, you know, it was always like these stage sets and like things like that. Is 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 that necessary? Is that is that a proper use 
of of the resources of people that are giving to the church that are giving to the church in order to support actual ministry? I don't think so. Um, I think I think that we could do a lot less production and use those funds a lot more wisely. Um, and and I think it's really easy when you have that that set of income coming in as a church to you know, say, hey, look, we've got this income, so hey, we could we could buy this set, we could buy this this lighting, the stage, the fog machine, you know, the whole deal. But maybe what we need is like less production and then more preaching, more teaching, more education, more um, more focus. Get 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 more people in full time ministry, because then because then if you're doing things right, that's more people that can be discipling people. That's that's more people in leadership that could be training the church to go out and do ministry. Um, I, th- I think that the, the other thing that I think that the church needs to focus more on is discipleship and raising up leaders from within our midst. Um, I, th- I think that we have the system of church set up backwards right now in the sense of that when you're 18 years old, that's when most pastors decide that they want to go into ministry. So then they go get a Christian ministries degree from a college. Then they go spend you know a few years in seminary, and then they go put out job applications. Then they apply for jobs at whatever church will take them. They go in for an interview just like you would any any other job, and then you go take whichever job you can take. And so pastors are not going through life with their congregations. And I think that that's something that's missing right now is that I think that so when you look at the New Testament church, they weren't as mobile as we are today. And so typically, if, if you were an elder or a pastor, you grew up in that church. You you went along, um, you learned from that pastor, you were mentored, you were trained, and then the local elders saw that you were qualified for ministry, and then they trained you, and then you popped up and became uh, a leader in your church. It was it was it was like a, a development program within your local community because that was the only community that you that you could go to, and I think that that's maybe something that we need to get back to is maybe we need to maybe we need to get away from this seminary model for a bit. I think that seminary can be great; it's a great training tool, it's a great teaching tool, but I think that the whole system set up of I want to be a pastor, so I'm going to go get my degree and then I'm going to go play, apply for a job and then just go wherever will hire me. I think that. That that's a bad setup, and that's dangerous for the church, and that's led to a lot of the problems that we're seeing because pastors are staying. I, I think I think I read a statistic that um, pastors stay on average at a church for seven years. I could be wrong, but I m- think I remember reading that somewhere. And then they go get another job. Like I can't tell you how many of my friends are pastors, and they've they've already been a pastor at three different churches, and they're maybe thirty five, forty years old. You know, that's not the way things are supposed to be. If you're a pastor, like. Commit, commit to your local church. I'm not saying you can't ever leave. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not trying to be legalistic or anything like that. But it is something to consider. Is that your family or is that not your family? Is it a career path where you're going to take another, maybe a better job somewhere else, or are we looking at this is the church? It's a family. It's an organism. I think. I think it's something that I think that we can consider. Uh, Andrew just posted the 10:40 window is an era from West Africa. It's an area from West Africa to East Asia, 10 degrees north to 40 degrees north, where the majority of the unreached people groups are located. Um, so, with that context, so what he was saying was uh, the majority of our resources as the church have been going to people already reached with the gospel at the expense of keeping people that live in the 1040 window. So those people in Africa and in East Asia, it, it, it's a valid point. And, you know, I'm not saying that we need to spend all of our money on foreign missions. 
um, be, because, you know, we are seeing that, you know, here in America, um, very unchurched. And we need, we need, we do need to be reaching our local communities as well. And in fact, a lot, a lot of, uh, foreign churches from other countries are actually sending their missionaries to America because we're so ungodly and unchristian. Um, so that's something, something to consider as well. But I think it's, it's a valid point of where are your church resources going? Are they going to actual ministry or are they going towards building a conglomerate? Are they going towards building a mega church? Um, and you know, again, I can be controversial at times, but something to consider is I'm not the biggest fan of the megachurch model. And a lot of it's because you're not walking through life with your pastor. And I, I like the idea of walking through life with your pastor, seeing how he actually lives his life, seeing him actually be an example of his sermons on Sunday. Um, you can't do that when you go to a church of 5,000 people. Um, and also, too, is, is that I think once you get up to a certain point, maybe it's a couple hundred people, um, maybe a few hundred people, maybe even, I think it would be wiser if, if you're actually doing church properly and you're mentoring people and you're training people up to be to become qualified elders and pastors, once you get up to a certain amount of people, maybe you split the church into two so that way you can have a local church pastor that's walking through life with their congregation. And then once you get an, once you get you know another few hundred people going, maybe you split off and you you plant another local church. Do something like that. Keep it small. Keep it intimate. Keep it a family, not a business. Not a big mega church, not not something that that's multi millions and millions and millions of dollars coming in, and it's all reliant on one famous celebrity pastor that's up there on stage, and then once he retires or he disqualifies himself or whatever it is, then the entire church implodes, just like what we saw with like Mars Hill Church, just like we see with almost every church when one of the old pastors he he retires or passes away, and then the church just falls away because the entire church revolved around that one person. Pastors, take the focus off of yourself. Take a mentorship role. Make, don't make the church reliant on you. Make it reliant. Make it reliant on God. Make it reliant on God's word. And I think that that's something that's important that we as believers need to remember. And as we're wrapping up this this uh, this hour, make everything that you do glorify God. Don't just follow your favorite celebrity pastor. Don't just accept something that your favorite author says because you like what that person, uh, you like that person's personality and that, and that you become this cult follower of that pastor and you just accept everything that they say blindly. I mean, the Bereans literally fact checked the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul who wrote the majority of the New Testament. He's, you know, by many, by many people, he's, he's the most, uh, prominent and he's their most famous uh, and uh, favorite uh, apostle and disciple and most influential leader of the early New, New Testament church. And he was getting fact-checked by the Bereans. And I think that's something that I think we need to remember is that don't just take what your pastor says at face value. Compare it with scripture. Use what they say as a, as a jumping uh, block or a, a platform to be able to jump off into your own research. Take what they say and do further study. Don't just say, "Hey, my pastor said it, so I'll take it as I'll take that as fact." I, and that's what I believe now. No, do your own research. Do your own study. It's okay if you disagree with your pastor on something. It's not the end of the world. The most important thing is that you believe this is what God's word says. This is what the Bible says. And always be willing to reevaluate your positions. Always be willing to be proven wrong. I would ra I would rather be, I would rather be proven wrong and then correct my bad theology 
than be so rigid and and be have blinders on and not be willing to engage in anybody else's argumentation and then be going down this path that where I think I'm right, but maybe I was wrong the whole time because I wasn't willing to listen to somebody else. So take what other people say, compare it with scripture, and then decide, do I need to reevaluate my position or am I reinforcing what I already believe by applying that person's argument. So that's something that I highly recommend. I highly recommend that you do. Compare everything with scripture. Be a Berean. Um, and that's vitally, vitally important. So, um, but yeah, I do truly appreciate everybody tuning in and asking your questions and that sort of thing. Uh, ha- had a great time doing this. We'll probably do this uh, another time some, sometime coming up as well. Um, so make sure you guys uh, get your questions in, uh, you know, when, when we do that again. Um, also, a reminder, uh, we're, we're starting a new podcast called uh, Ask Dr. Mike, where we're having uh, Dr. Mike Spaulding will be on, and, I, and I'll be hosting that. And then you guys can actually submit your questions for Mike to answer. Um, he's a great uh, theological mind. He's written many uh, Bible commentaries. Uh, he's, he's an author. He's a pastor at Calvary Chapel in, uh, I believe it's uh, Lima, Ohio, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Um, but, uh, he's one of the, he's one of the smartest guys that I know. Uh, if you guys have any questions, uh, you know, what, whether it's dealing with, uh, theology, philosophy, culture, politics, whatever it is, I highly recommend you guys submit those. Uh, if you guys email them to gatekeepersonline at gmail.com. Um, I, I will make sure that those get asked live on air. Uh, that episode will be on April 14th. We're going to be streaming live here on Facebook at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Again, April 14th. So in the meantime, get your questions in early because I'm going to make sure that he's got time to study, make sure that he's uh, got the right answers in, um, that, that everything that he's saying is scriptural and biblical as well. But again, send your, uh, send your questions to gatekeepersonline at gmail.com and I will be asking them live on air with Dr. Mike Spaulding, uh, in the first episode of Ask Dr. Mike. That's going to be a monthly episode that we're going to do. So every month, you guys, if you guys got new questions, you guys are studying, you guys hear something, you're not sure how that lines up with scripture. Submit your questions. You guys can just, anytime those come in, send them to gatekeepersonline at gmail.com. I'll make sure that they get asked. I'll make sure that your questions get answered by Mike Spaulding every single month. Uh, so make sure you guys do that. Uh, tune in. Uh, we're going to be back tomorrow. Um, I, let, let me see. Let me just see what time we're going to be back in tomorrow. Uh, we're going to be back in tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Uh, with uh, one of my good friends, Tommy Lee Thomas. He's an actor, producer, writer of uh, Christian films out out in Hollywood. And so we're going to have him on and just kind of be talking about the industry, what it's like to be a Christian in, in the entertainment industry, and then also uh, what, what Christians could and should be doing in relation to uh, entertainment and uh, how we can be a light shining in darkness. So I'm going to have him on uh, tomorrow, 4 o'clock Pacific time, uh, right here on Facebook. Again, you guys have any questions or comments or anything like that, uh, whenever I do any of these episodes of Conversations with Jeff, make sure you post comments, ask your questions. I'll be sure to ask our guests uh, those questions as well. Um, tune in tomorrow, 4 o'clock with Tommy Lee Thomas and um, yeah we shall see you guys then thanks so much for tuning in
The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com-spiritpark. HIV is still an issue in Montgomery County. The more open we're able to talk about HIV, we treat it like any other health prevention. PrEP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis. People who are not HIV positive who may be at high risk for contracting the disease. This is a good choice for you. It's just a way for you to sort of take control and say, I'm going to do this to protect myself. Do it for them. Do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about PrEP, the HIV prevention medication. Visit doitforyoumc.org.